Good morning, North Shore. My name is Mark Milbrecht. This week we're going to talk about faith works in action. As you know, we've been working through the book of James, and we're at the last chapter now, chapter 5 and the last half of chapter 5. Now before I get started, I want to tell you a story. Back in high school, I had a friend that was very instrumental in leading me to Christ. She introduced me to all the friends that I um, ended up knowing that were believers, and she um, invited me to, to Young Life Club and, and to Malibu, which is a summer camp where I received Christ. And my senior year, I got a phone call, the kind of phone call that you never want to get. It was from her best friend. Her name's Sherry, and her best friend's name was, is Jennifer. And Jennifer called me, and Sherry was in the hospital. See, she had tried to end her life. And so I just jumped in the car, and I was living on Vashon Island, so I had to take a ferry boat and then go into Seattle and, and get to the hospital, and I got there as quick as I could. And Sherry was laying in the ICU. She had all these um, tubes and wires hooked up to her. Uh, she looked like she was in a coma. She, she wasn't responsive at all, and she looked white as a, a ghost. And I met Jennifer there, and we just... We didn't know what to do. We just basically stood over Sherry's bed and just prayed um, somehow that she would live. In fact, we heard that out of three doctors that, that knew what was going on with Sherry, two of them said she wouldn't make it through the night. And one of the doctors said she had about a 5% chance of living. So we were, as you can imagine, just overwhelmed, distraught. And then after about 30 minutes, these people showed up in a room. They were from her church. There were elders from the church and leaders from the church. And they came and they had to circle up around a room and, and hold hands and sing songs of praise. And I have to tell you, that was the weirdest experience because I, I didn't really feel like doing that. And then the elders took oil and they anointed her. And we prayed. Well, when we were done praying, probably within five or ten minutes, I'd say, I started noticing things. Sherry started moving. Color returned to her face. She opened her eyes. She said she was cold. She wanted a blanket. She wanted the TV on. She wanted ice chips. <laughs> All these demands, right? But it was like, oh my gosh, this woman was literally animating and coming alive before my very eyes. Two days later, my friend Sherry was able to go home from the hospital. And I share that story with you because my faith grew three sizes that day. What I saw with my own eyes multiplied my trust in the one true God of the universe, the only one capable of bringing the dead back to life. So I want to begin today by taking another look at faith. This series is titled Faith Works. And last week, Pastor Scott talked about how um, that looks regarding our time and our money. So let's take a, a closer look at faith for, for just a moment. Hebrews 11, 1 and 2 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance 
about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And if you remember last week, Pastor Scott went through that chapter and talked about all the men and women of faith. So what do people put their faith or trust in? You ever heard anyone say, I have faith in you? How did that make you feel? Probably a little bit unsettling, right? Am I worthy of someone else's faith? Or maybe you're like George Michael who said, What is he talking about? Faith in what? Faith in and of itself has no substance. Because it's the object of your faith that makes all the difference. Our faith is not a principle or an idea or even a convincing argument. It is in the living God who physically came and dwelt among his people and died on a cross for our salvation. We know this. And that's why we put our faith, our trust, in the one who created us, right? And putting our faith in the living God requires us to act on that faith. Remember James 2.17. Faith without works is dead. Faith is an action word. And our faith or trust in God is expressed by living it out. So why is faith so important? Well, Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And as you remember, James started out his letter to the faithful and the scattered church, which was enduring so much of its most difficult days, by saying this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing very beginning of James chapter 1 verses 2 through 4 see he spends most of the first chapter telling the faithful to be patient to endure to resist temptation and to not just hear the word but put it into action and then the following chapters give us some very clear direction in how to live out our faith among the people of God. Finally, as we wrap up this book of James with this last chapter, verses 7 through 20 of chapter 5, we're reminded how our faith works through our patience, through our endurance, and through our prayers. Speaking of which, let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's powerful. Thank you that it's relevant. Thank you that it meets us right where we're at. And Lord Jesus, I know each and every one of us um, aren't, haven't arrived. We could all grow in our faith. And Lord, I thank you that James gives us such a clear direction on some ways that we can grow in our faith, which we know pleases you. So Jesus, I pray that you'd speak to us today. We'd have ears to hear and eyes to see. In your son's name, amen. So let's go ahead and read James chapter 5. Starting in verse 7. It says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, 
being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains, you also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if any among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover over a multitude of sins. My first point today is faith works through our patience. We just read it. I'll read it again. James 5, 7 and 8. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Notice how James is saying that there's something worth waiting for. Something that will bear fruit. The posture is not just to shelter in place and wait for this trial to be over. Remember the first half of this chapter? The Christians he was referring to have just endured a great suffering at the hands of the rich landowners. And as the victims of these injustices, these farmers were given an analogy right here that they can fully appreciate and relate to. They're told to have patience over a season, which is marked by the coming of the rains at the beginning and then at the end, the coming of the rains again, which not only allows the crops to grow and bear fruit, but it's also a symbol of the return of God's blessing that we read about in Old Testament Jewish traditions. Furthermore, we're told to focus on the coming of the Lord and the future hope of heaven, right? Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has put eternity in our hearts. I think James recognizes that we need a different focus right now than what they had just been experiencing and something to anchor their faith in. See, every human soul has a God-given awareness 
that there's something more than this transient, troubled, unpredictable, difficult world that we currently occupy, right? And then James 5, 9. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. And again, James is warning those that he's shepherding not to be caught up in that snare of quarreling, fighting with, and judging one another, right? It's so important that he says it here, but he also said it in chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, and also in chapter 2, verse 4. He's constantly reminding us not to judge one another. It gets our focus off of Jesus. So important. Point number two today is faith works through our perseverance. James 5, 10 and 11 says this. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. You know, Job is a great example of perseverance here. If you remember the story, and it's, it's a very long story, it's a whole book actually, but a few of the highlights is that the Lord allows Job to have his faith tested by Satan, if you remember. And he gets four messengers that visit him in rapid succession. In fact, one isn't even finished talking, and then the next messenger runs up. And every single one of these messengers brings horrible news. He loses his property. He loses his sons and daughters. And if, if that wasn't enough, he gets covered in what it says, or what it calls, loathsome sores. You can imagine what that was like, right? And his wife, she says, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. Wow, right? He's getting this advice from his wife. And then his three buddies show up. They, they made an appointment to come show him sympathy and comfort. That's what it says. But they end up dogging him for chapters and chapters, accusing him of sinning before God, bringing this on himself. Job goes through a wide range of emotions. And finally, it says this in chapter 42. Okay? And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. It's Job 42.10. He even had seven more daughters, excuse me, seven more sons and three more daughters. And then it says Job died an old man and full of days. You see, Job perseveres. And he receives the reward of faith, being doubly blessed, and experiencing God's compassion and mercy. I think this is a huge example for us. Now, for most of us, though, I, I don't think we have probably lived that radical of, of a perseverance story, right? But I want to tell you another story. A story of a student who was on the Alaska Summer Mission Project. 
Uh, my wife Sam and I went up there for five summers to Alaska. And it was amazing. We had about 35 students from all over the lower 48. And they did mission work up there. They got a job. They shared their faith with the people that they work with in the community. And we took a few weekends and we hiked glaciers and we explored the wilderness in Alaska. Unbelievable place. And then uh, one particular weekend, we went king salmon fishing. Now, keep in mind, most of these students, many from the north, or excuse me, from the Midwest, had caught, you know, maybe sunfish or crappie or, or maybe a three, four pound bass. These king salmon were 30, 40, 50 pounds. So here we are, we're camped on the Little Willow River in Alaska. And we started fishing at midnight Friday night. That's when the season opened. And it ended Monday morning. Okay? So it's a very short season. I think we had two weekends like that. We spent one weekend. So Friday night, midnight, we're all fishing. I want to tell you a story about John, one of the students. John wanted to catch a king salmon so stinking bad. Okay? And so he started at midnight, and he was optimistic, and he was fishing and fishing and fishing. And he hooked one, but he had his drag set too tight, so it was like, snap. He was upset about that. And he kept fishing, and he fished all night, and he fished all day. He might have caught a nap sometime Saturday night, but I run into John Sunday morning. It's about 10 a.m. He's been up for a day and a half, basically. He's had four kings on the line, and every one of them has snapped off. So here he is. I'm watching him. He hooks another one. It snaps off. We leave in two hours. He knows this. He just takes his rod, throws it to the ground, goes back, finds a log next to the, the river, just lays down. And it's a sunny day, so he, he's just done. He's, he's completely finished, right? I give him a few minutes. Then I walk over, and I kind of block the sun so he sees my shadow on his face, and he's like, opens his eyes. And I'm like, hey, John, how's it going? He's like, not good. And I'm like, yeah, I know. Tell you what, why don't you go pick up that uh, fishing rod again? He kind of looks at me, and Long pause, and he goes, okay. So he picks up his fishing rod. He goes um, back out where we were fishing, and I said, John, I got an idea. And I'd been watching the river for some time, and I knew there was some salmon at the end of that log, the far side of the, ri the river, and I knew what he had to do to catch those. So I said, John, cast just above that snag and just, just let your lure drift right through that hole, Okay. So he's like, okay. So he casts up there. He doesn't get it far enough, so it just sweeps through. Okay, try it again, John. Okay. Throws it up, perfect cast, right above the log, sweeps through the hole. Bang! He spends the next 15 or 20 minutes landing this. This photo you see here, <laughs> never seen a bigger grin on someone's face. John just pulled that king salmon into his chest He's got blood and fish, fish slime and everything else on his chest. He doesn't care. He ran through the whole camp, screaming and yelling. He was so excited. A 44-pound king salmon. Sometimes 
we need to endure. Sometimes we need to have patience. Job, for a very long time, under very difficult circumstances. Some of you maybe have had a, a very long illness, or someone in your family has had a very, very difficult time, maybe even getting a job. Those are times where we have to dig in deep and trust God, right? Where our faith could never be more real. And for some of us, it's a couple of days, and there's a reward at the end. And I know John will never forget that. So we're going to um, go to James 5.12 now. It says, But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. You know, another area that we can express our faith is through the perseverance of our integrity, or in this case, keeping our word. See, when we speak of an oath, we normally refer to that as like an emphatic promise of some kind. In the Old Testament, an oath um, was much more than just a promise, right? It, it, it called for the destruction of the thing in which it was sworn if the oath was broken. Pretty serious thing here. James is not calling us here to make an oath, but he is calling his people, and I believe us, to be men and women who do what we say we're going to do. People whose faith is not merely words, but is carried out in integrity and honesty so that people can trust the words that we speak. Third point today, faith works through our prayers. The practice, we're going to talk about the practice of prayer through all circumstances of life. This is, this is what James talks about here at the very beginning in verses uh, 13 through 15. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. We just saw that. We just heard about that with my friend Sherry, right? And then the power of prayer goes on to say, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. You can read the whole story of Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 17 through 19. I don't have time to go into that whole story now, but it's one of my favorites in all of Scripture. And I love what James says there. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He's a human being just like us. But he prays and it doesn't rain for three and a half years. Then he prays. 
and it rains. And he actually takes on 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah. That's 850 prophets and one man of God. Anyways, there's so much to that story I just can't get into right now, but I would highly recommend that you read that and you see the kind of faith that the prophet Elijah had. And the Bible is full of examples, right, of God responding to the prayers of his people. Remember Jonah? He finds himself in the belly of a whale after disobeying God, but he prays, and God rescues him. 1 Samuel 1, chapter 1, Hannah was unable to have children. She prays for a long time for a son whom she could dedicate to the Lord, and God grants her that wish or that request. And then Nehemiah prays for the city of Jerusalem that's been reduced to ruins, and the Lord uses him to lead the people to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And on and on and on it goes. God's people of faith praying and, God's answer, and God answering them. I want to tell you one last story here. This is our, our very own Courtney Rogers of Josh and Courtney. She had about one month left in her pregnancy and she had symptoms of SPD, which is basically where your bones and your ligaments start to pull apart excruciating pains that she had in, in her pelvic region, right? She had difficulty walking. And she was at this point ready to set up an appointment with a physical therapist and, you know, basically go in this whole regimen of, of things that she could do um, to get better. But then the Lord spoke to her. And he said, just trust me. You don't need to do that. I am going to heal you. And a few days later, the life group that they were in, they met together here at the church. They laid hands on her, and they prayed for healing. And her pain left instantly. Courtney had walked into the church with great difficulty and pain, but she walked out pain-free, and it never came back. Those are prayers of faith, my friend. And we can do that. It happens to, the, to all of us or any of us, even people you haven't heard of before and even people from the scriptures that we've read about because we have a God who answers faith in amazing ways. So the last piece here that James is talking about in, in this book is a process of restoration that he gives us. This is verse 19 and 20. He says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Maybe you've heard it said, all who wander are not lost, but many who are lost will wander until they're found. You know, I was reminded after I read this, I was reminded how Jesus told the story of leaving the 99 sheep. Remember that? To find the one 
the one sheep that was lost, how much that one tiny, seemingly insignificant lamb meant to the shepherd. He was willing to search everywhere until he brought it back safely. And how there's so much rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. My friends, we as believers have been given the greatest story ever told, right? The best news that's ever been given. You and I might be the closest thing to church that some of our neighbors may ever know. How are we seeing the brokenness and the division and the hostility and the hopelessness around us right now? We have the only hope that can possibly break through all of that. And there might never be a better time to share the hope. The hope that we have and the only one who is worthy of our faith, our Lord Jesus Christ. And in that process, James says that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover over a multitude of sins. That's powerful. We have the privilege as believers of adding to the rejoicing of heaven as our faith continues to work. Amen. Right? Amen. So we're going to end with, with a response time here. Um, and, and just consider a few questions with me. The first question that's coming up right now on your screen is, how is patience being required of you right now? Another way to put that is, what are you waiting on the Lord for? I know for most of us, we're in a season of patience, right? How is the Lord being, is patience being required of you right now? Second question. Can you recall a time when you needed to persevere in a difficult time or a trial that you had? How did God meet you during that time? Just think back on that. Something you had to persevere through. How did God meet you during that time? It's a lot to think about, I know. But then finally, what in your life needs God's healing right now. My friends, we know this, but our God is a God of healing and a God of redemption and a God of restoration. And we often see in the Gospels, Jesus not only healing people physically, but also forgiving their sins. Why? I think it's because he wants to heal the whole person. I believe some of us need God's healing hand right now in our lives. And as we worship together here and sing one final song this morning, let's ask the Lord, what do you want to heal in my life today?
How are you experiencing pain or brokenness relationally, physically, emotionally, spiritually? See, I believe that God wants us to experience healing and, re- and have breakthrough in that, even today. So I just invite you. I invite you to come up in front of the room here at North Shore, if you are here, or go online to the prayer room. Uh, you can see that listed in the comment section. And we'd love to pray for you online as well. So our elders and some of our church leaders are going to come up right after the song and they're going to pray for each and every one of us that wants to come up for prayer. Or like I said, join us. Join us in the comment section there where it says prayer room. We'd love to pray for you there too. For God's healing. Thank you so much, my friends. I can't wait (laughs) to see you physically personally, and, uh, and to hear the stories about how God's been working in your life and how he's growing your faith as well, especially during the season. Let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, thank you that this section is so full of hope. And Lord, we know that patience is, it's tough. And persevering through difficult things is really hard. And sometimes it's all we can do, Lord, to to pray in faith to ask you to do the miraculous. But Jesus, I thank you that you do the miraculous. We've seen the miraculous. We've heard the miraculous today. And we see it throughout Scripture. So God, we want to trust you for that healing, for that hope, and for the faith that we need as we move forward in our lives today and always. We love you and we thank you, Jesus, for dying on a cross for each and every one of us. In your son's name, amen.